So reading from Genesis chapter 3, um, verses 3 to, to 19. Now the serpent, sorry, so now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food." until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. I think we're, uh, we're on. Thanks for that, uh, Julie. Uh, now, remote minder, question time straight after the sermon, and it's always a good time to check that your phone's on silent, aeroplane mode or off, uh, especially me. Um, that's my number there, so I don't want... Don't call me during the sermon because my, my phone will be off. You can't catch me. Uh, but I will turn it back on afterwards. So 
There we go. Now, uh, if I said to you, I have a love-hate relationship with something, uh, what, what pops into the mind for you? What's, uh, what is it for you that you have a love-hate relationship with? Uh, it's, it's a few things for me, but one of them is KFC. Oh, yeah, I usually don't eat KFC, not for stints, at least for a while. And, and often it'll be when I'm traveling uh, and I forgot to pack lunch and I'm pretty hungry, uh, maybe I'm off buying sheep somewhere. Uh, I've been working hard and I'll see an advertising sign and it'll say, coming up in 20 minutes, Dubbo. Oh. And I haven't had it for maybe six months, maybe a year, and thinking, oh, it sounds good. And it looks so good on the pictures, doesn't it? It's uh, crispy and succulent. You think, oh, that, how good will I feel after eating KFC? Um, and that's, that's how I think, yeah, it's great. And so, and, and, and inevitably, I pull in, I think, oh, well, well do I go the two-piece feed or the five-piece? Oh, you better go the five-piece because I'm pretty hungry. Um, and you bite in, it's just, just amazing. Uh, first bite, uh, the juices explode in your mouth. It's just, oh, fantastic. Um, and then you're kind of three pieces of chicken in. Well, I am. And I have grease dripping off my elbows uh, and regret strikes. Uh, some very clever person has put together a graph, I couldn't find it, of the enjoyment to regret ratio of KFC. And it's usually, you know, uh, looking forward to it, eating it first piece, second piece, third piece, and then enjoyment's going up and then instant 100% regret. Uh, and, and after feeling eating KFC, I, I, I feel kind of dirty. I, I feel ashamed. Uh, in some way. Um, there's a reason they call it Dirty Bird. I don't know if you've, you've heard of that. Yeah, it's, um, but I, I feel off. Uh, and so I, I, so I go, oh, okay, no more KFC for lamb. Uh, it's not good. It's not good for me. I know I shouldn't go back there. And then six months later, I've been out to buy some sheep and driving along the road. And I see the sign. Yeah, 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 maybe you haven't been there, but, but I have. I have this love-hate relationship with it. Uh, I look forward to it. I, I forget how bad it was. It looks so good and I indulge and then instant regret. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know if you, you picked up, this is where we're heading with that. Sin for me is just the same. I don't know if that's how, how you find it. Um, uh, there, there's some sins which I know they're bad for me. I know how I feel afterwards. Uh, I, I know it's not good. God tells me it's not good. It's not the way he designed me. Uh, and, and maybe I'll stay away from it for a while. Uh, but there's something attractive about it. And it sucks me back in. Maybe I'm looking forward to it for months, maybe weeks, maybe just minutes. When oh, I hear a conversation going on that I go about someone, I go, I, I know something. I, I, I want... I want to share this thing about this person that I have. And, and it seems attractive at that moment. And I do, and I gossip, and I, I feel just like I've eaten five pieces of KFC. Uh, dirty, ashamed, regretful, remorse. Yeah, do you, do you know that feeling in some ways? Surely there's some people here who, who go through that. Well, today we're looking at sin and thinking, well, why do we do it? What, what, what is sin? So that's, that's kind of our things. Why, why do we sin? What, what is it at the core of sin that makes it 
so wrong, uh, so against what God designs? Uh, what are those consequences of sin? Uh, and what's the solution as we, we work through? Uh, and I'm going to pray as we do, because this is, um, this is in, in one sense, this is why we're here. Uh, not to sin, but because of our sin. Uh, we've just sung about a super saviour. Uh, you don't need a saviour unless you need saving from something. So let's, let's pray as we dig in. Father God, we thank you uh, that you want to be known, you want to be clear, uh, that you are for us, you love us, and you do give us everything we need to have a full and joyful and fulfilling relationship with you in Jesus. We pray as, uh, as we open your word now, that as I preach, that you'd help me to be faithful, to be clear, and help us all to have open hearts to respond in the way you've designed us to, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, why do we sin? Uh, many have said the, the, the average rate of human sinfulness is 100%. Uh, that's, uh, that's it. That's the chances of a baby growing up and sinning, uh, 100%. Um, it seems that we can't not sin. As humans, it seems that there's something in us that makes us incapable of not sinning. And if you question that, you think, well, if that's not the case, what are the chances of every human who's ever lived, other than Jesus, we'll get to him in a little while, what are the chances of, yes, we could not sin, but everyone happens to have done it? No, there's, there's something in there underlying. There has to be that means that we can't not sin. Why is that the case? Well, it's actually because of Adam. Adam and Eve, we just read, thank you, Julie, uh, that sin at the garden, um, as they, they took the fruit that God said not to eat, they ate the fruit that God said not to eat. Uh, they were enticed, they were deceived, and they did it. And when Adam sinned in the garden, it wasn't just individual. See, when I eat KFC on the way home, it doesn't affect you. It affects Lucy if she's driving the car next and the steering wheel slippery. Uh, but but, but he, often our sins um, kind of mostly individual and, and roll out and affect those closest to us. But, but Adam's sin rolled out cosmically across all of humanity. Uh, we, I'm not preaching on Romans 5 today. Uh, we could do a whole 10-week series on that, but we won't. Uh, but in Romans, we read this about Adam's sin and how it's affected us. Uh, Paul writes in Romans, Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam, who is the pattern for the one to come. I'm saying, thinking, well, what, what do you mean uh, people who didn't sin as in Adam did? Because surely everyone sinned as in Adam. And, well, some, uh, some children die before they have the chance to sin. M many babies die in utero. Uh, many people in this world die without having the chance to sin in the way Adam did. But still, death reigns. We understand that, especially when we, we have antibiotics and hospitals and midwives now. So a lot of babies survive. That wasn't the case in the ancient world. Uh, and so when, uh, when Paul writes, death reigned, everyone goes, yeah. Death reigns. It has affected us all. And he says that's because of Adam in some way. And, and I reckon we struggle with this, especially as, uh, as Westerners, as individualists. Uh, we, we, we struggle with the concept uh, that I should be affected by something my ancestors have done. Why should I be responsible 
for something uh, people in my ancestry did generations before. Why should I be responsible for that? that that's on the whole, a very modern, Western, individualistic thought. Uh, and it's, I find myself thinking that sometimes. Uh, but of course we're affected by our, what our ancestors did. Every one of your ancestors, if it wasn't you yourself, emigrated to Australia. And you get to live in this, this particular country. You are affected by what your ancestors have done. Uh, whether they made good financial investments or bad financial investments affects it. Where they live, what they do, we are all affected by what our ancestors have done. Uh, and it's no different with Adam. He is a long way back, uh, but... Uh, Adam affected all of his descendants through his sin. Uh, and we, we read it in verse 12 in Romans. Therefore, Paul writes, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Now, this is picking up a theme uh, that we sometimes call in Christian circles original sin, uh, that, that there's something in us uh, that's I want to say genetic, but I don't think we're going to find a gene for it. But it's there in us. In some way, we all sinned when Adam sinned. He, he is our ancestor. He sinned in a way on behalf of us all. And we all suffer the consequences for that. Uh, we all suffer the consequences for that. We, we have what we call a sinful nature. Paul talks about again in Ephesians where he, he talks about all of us, Christians he's talking about, who we lived among them, that is non-Christians, those outside of the church, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. But, but see that, that last phrase, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Not we were deserving of judgment because of what we had done, but by nature, there's something in us because of our ancestry. By nature, we are deserving of wrath. We are unable not to sin. Uh, and, and if you don't recognize that in your own life, um, yeah, come and chat to me after the sermon. Uh, I, I'm sure I could point something out and, and I'm sure you could point it out to me. We are unable not to sin. And it's really important when we come to this that if you're a Christian, if you have found forgiveness and hope and restoration in Jesus, not to think that there has been such a change that I'm now beyond all that. Uh, the New Testament makes that really clear, uh, as does the Old Testament. Um, have you heard the phrase, pride comes before a fall? Uh, well, it's kind of from Proverbs. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. So if we find ourselves thinking, hey, yeah, yeah, when I was a baby Christian, yeah, I struggled with some sins, but I'm doing all right. I'm pretty good now. Ah, watch out. Uh, and as we move into the New Testament, the warnings escalate. Uh, in Galatians 6, Paul's writing to Christians. He's saying, hey, some of you will fall into sin from time to time. And when that happens, you, you others should go and help them, try and rescue them. But see what he says? If someone's caught in a sin, go and restore them, but watch yourself or you yourself may be tempted. He's saying, hey, you're going in on a rescue mission. Don't think that you're above that sin. Uh, and it's explicit there in 1 Corinthians 10. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. I think that's the first lesson we get from uh, the doctrine of sin from Genesis. It's in us all. 
It's in us all. We have a sinful nature. Yes, if you're a Christian, uh, Jesus has redeemed you. He's changing you. He's sanctifying you. But we are not in the new creation yet. Be careful. Be careful. So that's why we sin. uh, Because our ancestor Adam did something that affected us all. But what is it to sin? What's at the core of sin? Uh, Well, often when we think about sins, we think about things, about actions. Uh, I don't know what it is that just popped into your head. What is the particular sin? It might be lying, cheating, stealing, whatever it might be. Um, Specific commands that we break. But is that the case? Uh, Well, let's have a look at that first sin uh, and see if we can tease out what's the nature of sin. Uh, And we saw it there as Julie read through. uh, This serpent, he's more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now, I was going to do a whole uh, sermon on uh, on, uh, Satan and angels and demons from Genesis, but we're going to save that for a later date. So uh, here's the mini version. Um, The serpent here is referring to Satan, a.k.a. the devil. Uh, He's called the deceiver. The, the accuser, the father of lies. He's a spiritual being, but he is created. It's not some kind of yin-yang where there's a good power and a bad power and uh, somehow together they made the world. No, no, there is God, the one and only, our triune God, and he made everything, uh, including uh, Satan. Uh, Satan was created. He was created good, but he fell. Uh, he, he rebelled. Uh, he's still seeking to destroy God's purposes. That's what he loves doing, uh, destroying all the good things that God wants to do. It is no contest for Satan, and God is not like an arm wrestle, but he is dangerous, he is there, and we're going to see why. Because Satan, the serpent, he he comes to the woman uh, and he says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Uh, And this is often uh, what creeps into our minds. Now, now, whether the thoughts that pop into your mind, whether you think of those as Satan whispering in your ear or your sinful nature or something else, I think the result is the same. But, but often our temptations start with questioning God. Hmm, did, did God really say that? Is, is that? is that really what God meant? And the tone here, and we'll see it as it comes out, is a, it's like, uh, like saying to a kid, did your dad really say you could only have one lousy, measly little scoop of ice cream? Oh, did he really say that? Oh, what a mean, what a mean dad. That, that's the kind of, and we'll see that come out. It's this questioning and did God really say that? And it's implying that God is stingy, that God is withholding something good. And it's often the way temptations start. And we see that as it comes through. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit of that tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. Now, again, I I read that with certain uh, tone. I don't know how Eve said it, Uh, but God didn't just say you may. God God made everything for them. When God announced what he'd done for them, he, he said to Adam and Eve, look, I give you all this for food. Uh, just don't eat from that one in the middle of the garden. She's going, oh, it just feels a bit measly. She also adds to the command. Did you notice that? God didn't say anything about not touching the tree in the middle of the garden. But Eve's 
mm, he, he said, oh, you can't eat it and you can't touch it. It's sort of starting to paint God to be withholding something, adjusting God's commands, making it seem worse than it is. Uh, the serpent replies, you will not certainly die. Uh, to the woman, he says, for God knows that when you eat from me, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And this is, I think, at the crux of it. It's a questioning God's wisdom and God's goodness. Uh, it's saying, hey, I don't think God knows what he's talking about. You won't surely die. And actually, this thing that he said not to do, it's pretty good and he just doesn't want you to have it. And that's often how it starts. And, and Eve, she, she just went for it. When the woman saw uh, that the, the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So, so what was it that attracted Adam and Eve to this fruit? We don't know whether it was an apple. I've got nothing against pictures of apple trees in the garden. But uh, what was it about this sin that was so attractive for Adam and Eve? Well, we actually see it there right in the middle. Yes, it's good for eating, but so are all the other trees and food that God's made. Yes, it's pleasing to the eye, but look around. Everything's pleasing to the eye. It's also desirable for gaining wisdom. Now, at the core of this sin, the eating of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil is a attitude, a decision, a choice that says, I don't want God to decide what is good and evil, what is right and wrong. I want to decide what is good and evil, what is right and wrong. That, that's what's going on with this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I desire to gain wisdom because I want to be the one to say, yeah, that is good for me or that is bad for me. I'm not, I'm not happy to trust God. I'm not happy to say, oh, yeah, God, you say what's good and what's bad, and I'll, I'll do it because you're God and I'm not. It's saying, no, God, I want to make those decisions. I want to determine what is good and evil, what is right and wrong. Uh, now, often the way we think of sin, uh, breaking commands, I think that falls down because sometimes we can have a sinful attitude while keeping God's commands. Uh, I'll show you what I mean. Uh, some of God's commands, we find it quite easy to follow. They, they just make sense. I don't know what it is for you, uh, but we'll probably have different ones. We go, yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I find it easy to, eat God, uh, to um, follow God's command here because it makes sense to me. And others we really wrestle with because they don't seem to make sense. They don't come as naturally. They seem to go against the grain. Uh, it is possible to be following God's commands not because God said it, but because I think it's good. It's possible to be living a life where I'm actually on the outside, uh, following all these different commands, but on the inside, I'm not following them because I trust God. I'm following them because I think they're good things to follow. And when do you see the evidence that there's this sinful heart at the core? Well, when I come across a command that I don't want to follow. And that's when the evidence of that sinful heart comes out. Because it's about saying, I want to be the one to decide what is right and wrong. That's at the core of sin. Every sin, independence, whatever it is. It's saying, you know, the gossip that I used earlier. Uh, what, what am I saying when I engage in gossip? 
I'm not taking time to say it, but what I'm saying to God is, hey, God, I know you say gossip is wrong. It is sinful. It's bad for me. It's bad for the other person. It's not loving you or loving my brother and sister. Yet, I think it's good for me in this moment because uh, I want to do it. At the core of a reaction is saying, yeah, I think this is the best thing for me to do at this moment. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. It's a little rebellion saying, no, God, I, I don't want to follow what you say. I don't trust you. I want to decide what's right and wrong for me. And we do that in every single situation where we go against what God's, God's done. I encourage us to look at ourselves where am I doing this in my life? Where am I harboring that attitude? Where, yeah, I'll go along with God's commands, tick, 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 until I find one that I struggle with. Oh, and then I don't. Am I harboring an attitude that's the same attitude as Adam and Eve that said, you know what? I, I'll decide what's right and wrong. Thank you very much, God. Am I harboring this attitude? Yes, we'll see it when we sin, but what about when we're obeying? Am I still holding on to, I will choose when I obey and what I'll obey, even in my obedience? Uh, let, let, let's be careful not to take pride in what we keep, as if those little things don't count. So as we move through it, and we say, well, what about the consequences? Where does this fit in? We move through the story and we see immediately the consequences of sin. Uh, so verse 6, uh, they've just eaten the fruit. They've just uh, gone with it. They've just said to God, God, uh, we don't trust you to make the rules. We want to make our own rules. And then the eyes of them, both of them were opened and they realized they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now that sounds very much to me like shame like trying to wipe the steering wheel off so there's no evidence of KFC, uh, like hiding in a corner, like not wanting to see people or talk to people or interact with people. It's, it's this hiding and darkness and cover-up because I've got something in here that is dirty. Uh, it comes out in all the crime shows, doesn't it, that um, uh, the, the compulsive washing of hands of someone who's got, had blood on their hands as if that could wash it? Why does a shower often feel initially like it might help after sin? It's, it's, it's something outside that we do. I just sew some fig leaves together to cover my nakedness and somehow that will hide, wash some of the dirt away. But that's not the only result, the only consequence of sin. If we flick down in chapter 3 to verse 21, God has mercy on them. Uh, he, he makes garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothes them. And God says, to, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Uh, so the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim with a fla flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Uh, this is the first of many signs throughout the Bible that sin results at its fundamental level in a broken relationship with God. 
I, I want to uh, recommend a great kids book, The Garden, the Curtain and the Cross. We've only got one copy of it uh, on the bookshelf. It's that one, so you can stampede out there to get it. But it, but it works through that theme. Uh, I didn't realise until I read that book um, that embroidered on the curtain in the temple, uh, the great big uh, floor-to-ceiling curtain that divided the Holy of Holies from the uh, holy place, the place where you said people can't go in here because God is holy and you is not. You are not. Guess what's embroidered on that curtain? Flaming cherubim with swords, saying, uh, "God, God, there's a broken relationship now. Your your sin has tainted you. You are not holy. I am not holy. We can't go in there anymore." We don't have access to God anymore. We have a fundamentally broken relationship with God. And ultimately, that means it's not just a guard on the garden for a period of time. It's a separation from God forever. I'll read a couple of verses from Revelation 20. Uh, it's, It's quite dramatic, especially when you think about those we know and love who have not yet put their trust in Jesus. This is the judgment day. Uh, John's writing, he said, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence. There was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. The death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is a second death. And any whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This day is coming. It's nearer today than it was yesterday. It is coming and coming and coming. The shame that Adam and Eve felt, that was just the first symptom. The banishment from the garden was a big sign saying we have a broken relationship. And unless something changes, that broken relationship will last for eternity. And I want to suggest that if God gave no symptoms of this a horrific broken relationship with eternal consequences. If God gave no symptoms, that would be fair. He doesn't have to give us symptoms, but it wouldn't be merciful. I want to ask, do you welcome pain? Uh, you're probably going to say no. Uh, I reckon whether we welcome pain or not depends on if that pain is a symptom of a deeper issue. Uh, a little while ago, I didn't ask Lyndon if I could say this, but L- Lyndon had some, some chest pain. Went to the doctor, he said, ah, it's probably nothing, don't worry. Went to the doctor, went to the doctor. Eventually, they found out he had an aortic aneurysm on his valve. Uh, like, hey, we're going to operate on you within a couple of weeks kind of size. That pain he, he was having, is that good pain? Yes. Because it said, hey, there, there is a deeper problem here. A problem that untreated will kill you. That pain was a great merciful blessing from God, wasn't it? That's, that's the reality. If pain as a symptom points you to a deeper issue that is treatable, what a mercy. And God in his mercy, he gives us pain that we might look deeper to the deeper problem. We see it in verse 6 in the curses that Julie read earlier. 
To the woman, he said, I'll make your pains in childbearing severe. Uh, can the women testify? Amen. I don't know if that's something you cheer about, but you, you know it, don't you? With painful labor, you'll give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband who'll rule over you. There's, there's a curse. There's pain in marriage. They're not always all they should be. Uh, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Not just cursed to you. Cursed is the, the earth. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat uh, and you will eat the plants of the field. Uh, I, when it doesn't rain, when it does rain, when I have thistles, uh, every time it re reminds me, this isn't how it's meant to be. It's painful. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, from dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now, I'm going to take a stab in the dark and say each one of us has experienced real pain in our lives. Maybe it's the death of someone close to us, the sickness of someone close to us, our own sickness, our own trauma, relationship breakdown, disappointment. What, what, what's the pain that you've experienced or are experiencing right now? I, I would suggest that the Bible tells us that that pain is a merciful blessing from God to say that this earth is cursed and you have a deeper issue. It, it's, it's a good thing to drive your attention deeper, to go and get that scan and say, I, I've got a broken relationship with God that needs fixing. Do you, do you see the symptoms in your life? I, I can see them everywhere I look. Do you feel the symptoms? When we ask why, that, that's good. Why God? <laughs> why is this happening? Why is it happening to them? Why is it happening to me? How... How is this happening, God? How is this good? That, that's, that is the right question to ask in the midst of pain because God has an answer. See, if life was all green grass and sunshine, we might go to our graves never suspecting that we had an eternal problem with our Creator. And yet He mercifully gives us symptoms so that we recognize this uh, deadly condition. So, so mourn, grieve. I'm not saying it's uh, enjoyable or that we should be happy with it, but ask why. And as we do, know the answer, know the solution. And that's what we see as we work through. Uh, even here in Genesis 3, in the midst of the curses, God gives a little hint of the blessing of the solution he'll provide to sin. Uh, he's cursing the serpent. He's just said, you're going to crawl on your belly all your days. And then he says, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman. Between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And this isn't just that uh, snakes are going to bite people and we'll kill the snakes. Uh, it's far more than that. It's a little hint that one day the offspring of the woman will be the one to finally defeat Satan to crush Satan's head. There's hope even in the curse. And that's why when we come to the New Testament, we get these little phrases that you kind of need Genesis to understand. Uh, Galatians 4 uh, is one of those. Paul's talking about Jesus and he says, when the set time had come, uh, had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, 
born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Isn't everyone born of a woman? Yeah, but this is important. It's a little phrase. The offspring of the woman is going to be the crusher. We sang about it, didn't we? A death crusher, sin smasher. He's the one who's going to come and defeat sin and death forever. Who's going to redeem people? He's the one who, as Paul writes in Corinthians, who will deliver the promise. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death, Paul writes, is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what Paul is not saying there is that if you trust Jesus, you can stop sinning and then God won't send you to hell. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not what the Bible teaches. That Christians can stop sinning and then because we're not sinners anymore, God gives us a thumbs up at the pearly gates and in we come. That's not what the gospel says. Uh, The gospel says Jesus Christ, God himself, lived a perfect sinless life, was tempted in every way we are, yet did not sin. How often do we give in to temptation? How often? And the longer you hold out against temptation, the, the harder it gets. Jesus held out his whole life. He was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. He, he was the perfect sacrifice, the perfect, blameless, blemishless lamb of God who offered up himself, who died to pay for our sins, to release us from the curse of the law. Uh, Satan, uh, one of his names is the accuser. And that's what he does. He stands before God and he says, hey, God, I've got Liam's record sheet here. Uh, you, you see everything. You know everything. You know Liam is a dirty, rotten sinner. And, and here's your law. No, no sinners can come into your glory. You are holy. He is not. Liam does not de- deserve to be here. He is the accuser. That, that's the power of sin. That's the power of death. That's how the law functions. And then Jesus stands and says, no, no, no. I have wiped that clean. I have paid that debt. And I have given Liam through his faith, his trust in me. I took his debt and I gave him my righteous record. That's the offer of Jesus. That's the offer of the cross. That's how the serpent's head was crushed. What's the accuser say then? He's got nothing. He's got no, no, no other leg to stand on if our trust is in Jesus. That is how Jesus does it. He redeems us from the curse of sin and death. He delivers us. And it enables us to start to shed those feelings of guilt and shame that we know so well. Uh, there's a very precious verse in Hebrews. The author of Hebrews writes this. He says, let us draw near to God. Not perfect. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Real real trust, real faith. And with the full assurance that faith brings. Because trusting what Jesus did, I I can know that's, that's good. If I'm trusting my good works, I can't have assurance. No, real trust, real faith. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Isn't that a remarkable offer? 
God, the almighty, eternal creator and judge, the holy one who is in light and in him no darkness can exist at all. We can draw near to him. Not perfect, not sinless, just sincere, really trusting Jesus with assurance, confidence that faith brings, faith in Jesus, knowing that he will sprinkle Cleanse, as the language from the Old Testament, what the, uh, the priests did in the temple, this sprinkling, this cleansing that will clear our consciences. Now, that may not happen all at once. Uh, in this life, I, I suspect there will be things in my life uh, that I feel, still feel guilt and shame about my entire life. But increasingly, as I continue to trust Jesus and, and look to him, not to my record, we can have a cleansed conscience. It's an offer. It's a promise. Undoing even some of that shame that Adam and Eve felt as they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. I would encourage us today to embrace it, to take it if you haven't taken it already, why, why live with shame and guilt and no way to fix that when Jesus has done all that needs to be done? There, there is no other hope. There's no other offer like this. There's no other place we can go to be released and forgiven. And, and I think for those of us here who are Christians, I think we need an encouragement, I certainly do, to keep coming back. I, I wish that my last sin was my last sin. That would be great, wouldn't it? But the reality is that we still live in these bodies of death. Uh, Romans 7 kind of picks that up. Uh, we, we're still, we're not in our new bodies yet. We're not released from the presence of sin fully. And the Bible recognizes this. Uh, in 1 John, uh, the Apostle John writes, he, he, he really is, he's an old man at this point. He's a fatherly figure. And, and I want to encourage you to, to hear it as it's written to us. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Don't sin. It's, it'll ruin your life. If you, if you fail to repent, if you fail to turn back, it will send you to hell. It's not good. But we have an advocate beside the Father that when we do, if we do, Jesus is standing there saying, I've, I've paid for that one too, and that one, and that one, because Liam... Is he, because she, puts their trust in me. I've cleansed them. They have my record. We have an advocate with the Father. How could we not share this good news? I'm going to pray that we'll jump into some question time. Father God, we thank you uh, that the gospel is truly good news. That even when we dig into sin and guilt and shame, we do so with hope. Uh, we do so knowing that you, you have a future for us. If only we will not hide from you and run away, but come to you, but draw near to you. Not, not perfect, 
not pure, but sincere with faith, resting on the sacrifice of your son Jesus, trusting in him alone. And when we do, you will undo the work of the curse, the work of sin. You will, you will strip the devil of his power and you cleanse us. We pray that you would help us to do that, whether for the first time or again and again and again. Help us to keep coming back. And as we think not only about ourselves and our families, but our, our communities both here and around Toronto, Lord, we, we long that, that tens and hundreds and thousands of people over the next decades will come to experience this same freedom from guilt and shame We'll come to experiencing the forgiveness that can only be found in Jesus. We'll come to know you as their father, as you forgive and adopt them. So we pray that you would help us and empower us to keep trusting you, to keep coming back and keep sharing this good news of freedom from sin. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.